As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. What's the difference between eye-watering and money-spinning? Is the Sky Sports News transfer totaliser the ultimate symbol of modern football? And what does £25 million really buy you in 2020? Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Access to The Athletic is just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. First of all, guest number one, Charlie Eccleshire, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm not too bad. You had a relatively front row seat on Tuesday night for Lampard versus Mourinho, which, and we've all seen, we've seen lots of touchline spats in our time, but this, this seemed like a particular sort of the subgenre because this was master versus apprentice anything that Mourinho would say to Lampard on that touchline felt particularly withering and I felt bad for Lampard just for how awkward that must have been like any good football spat they kept going back for more so just when he thought it was finished mm. they'd kind of turn around and, and put in another kind of barb um, but yes it, it did feel like a bit of a, a slap down in Mourinho's part he then explained it after I think his his point was that you don't need to do this when your team's winning you know you should support your team when they're losing they don't need you yeah. now and, and, I, and I think he even said like you know we don't need to make it all about us which obviously was, was quite amusing coming from Mourinho but it's, it's great that Mourinho has essentially found a way to verbalise the patronising head pat that he used to do pre-Covid <laughs> and uh, has, has found a kind of um, biosecure way of, of putting down his opposite number nice to see alongside you virtually Nick Miller welcome back hello Good to be back. Yeah. On the subject of Spurs versus Chelsea, I see you tweeted, I-, I watched Spurs fans falling in love with Reguilon. 
And all I can see is heartbreak in a few years. What, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? As I understand, Real Madrid have a chance to basically buy him back. Oh, okay. Charlie would maybe be able to clear this up, knowing more, more about this than me, but it just seems that, you know, when Zidane moves on to and um, someone who hasn't got some kind of weird thing against Regulon, they'll just buy him back and... Tottenham will be standing on the dock watching their boy sail away again. Charlie, you wrote a very effusive piece about Spurs' new signing. You seem to suggest he's on the trajectory to cult hero status, which is a very dangerous area to be in. Arsenal fans can attest to this. If you get into cult hero territory, you can only, you can go either of two ways, I think. It just felt like one of those debuts where there was a moment about 15 minutes in where he charged across the pitch and made a slide tackle. And I, I could just feel the spirit of like 60,000 people roaring that. It was the sort of slide tackle that goes down like better than a goal. You know, those ones. Was he, welcome, just... was he welcoming himself to the Premier League? Yeah, it seemed to be. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I'm taking charge of this. Yeah, so he, I, I did fall a bit in love with him. And, and yeah, sure enough, I did have a lot of people saying like, well, he'll be off in a year or two anyway once he gets good. But, you know, I think we have to enjoy it while we can. And uh, yeah, some some debut. I realise I'm a real, a real sort of joy hoover now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, you're in the right place. Before we get on to the, to the main thrust of today's episode, which is simply money and all the language of money and football and everything that goes with it, we have a bumper part one for the adjudication panel to to cover this week uh first of all this seems to be a bit a bit of a undecided aspect of the language of football nick which is um you may have seen john mcginn's pirouette on the ball against fulham we seem to be rather undecided about what we're supposed to call this wikipedia for a start calls it the marseille turn also known as the 360 the spin the roulette the gyrosflin and the double drag back. What do you call it? I'm sorry, what was that second last one then? The Giro? <laughs> the Girosflin. Uh, oh. Google of it offers no indication of how I'm supposed to pronounce it, but Girosflin. Oh. oh Girosflin. I'm going to go for Girosflin. That looks like a roulette to me, and I, know, I don't really know why. It's just one of those things that you absorb from being on the internet for too long, I think. Um, like, the, the, like the sort of odd names for what? essentially our defensive midfielders, you know, your pivots, your you know, Engash or whatever else it is. So, Charlie, there appears to be some sort of continental-wide debate about what we're supposed to call this particular skill. What do you go for? Yeah, I call it the Marseille roulette. But I, and I think that's because that was how it was described on a FIFA game or a Pro Evo game. I think something. it was Pro Evo, yeah. That's yeah. right. And that kind um, of... Yeah, that just got it in my head. It's pretty much an indicator of how old you are. Uh, Charlie, you're a little bit younger, so I suspect Marseille roulette is kind of fine. Nick, I'm disappointed in you. I thought you'd be with me and call it a Maradona turn. That's that's what it is. That's what I used to call it when I was a kid. Despite my age, maybe I've just been overtaken by the sort of youth culture that you know, <laughs> surrounds, and, and I'm including Charlie in that youth culture, yeah, apparently. Young at heart. I'm right fine. at the forefront of it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Orlando writes in and says uh, he, he nominates calling it the McSpin, which I'm not on board with. <laughs> Third digging on Wikipedia into the variations subsection of the Wikipedia page for this particular skill, Frank Ribery and Aidan McGeady have also performed slightly modified versions of the spin. <laughs> <laughs> the McGeady. Not sure about that. Well, it seems like we're no closer to that anyway. Second of all, over the last few weeks, my attention has been drawn to a truly great Twitter project, Charlie. It's called Premier League Players. And uh, it's a fairly innocuous looking um, undertaking. It is a essentially a census of every single Premier League player who has ever appeared since 1992 in order of them making their debut. Now, already that sounds like an incredible Twitter account on its own, right? It's amazing, yeah. I, I hadn't actually, I wasn't aware of it until you 
you brought it to my attention. But I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. At the time of recording, they are up to, let me scroll to the top of this, they are up to 1,384. And Nick, the 1,384th player in this list, who made his debut in August 1999, was former Sheffield Wednesday forward Simon Donnelly. This happened to coincide with the first controversy for this account because they actually chalked off his only Premier League goal by mistake. <laughs> uh, and then he, so he replied to them on Twitter and said, um, one goal against Derby away for fuck's sake. I never set it on fire, but don't take my only Prem goal away, guys. Look it up. <laughs> So they issued a they issued a public correction. So um, a little blip for that account on what has been a flawless uh, um, trajectory so far. But this is a vital undertaking, isn't it? Because no one's ever done this before, except for say Rothmans or something like that. We are going to have a real time progression of every single player who's played in the Premier League. This is vital work. It is vital work. I, I do feel for the person who you know decided they were going to do this. It feels <laughs> like one of those. The, the, one of those uh, sort of long-running podcast series about a beloved television show that yeah. where usually American show that where you know there, there are ten seasons of it and there are twenty episodes per season. It's the sort of thing that you, you know what you talk, you talk about it with your mates and you go, "Wouldn't it be brilliant if we did a podcast about the West Wing or something?" <laughs> And then you kind of get 15 episodes in and you go, Jesus, we've got to do this for another three years. <laughs> and a, a, a sort of lower scale version of this will be this this Twitter account. I mean, I whoever it is, I salute you, but my God, do you know what you're doing? Well, I can tell you his name. His name is Chris. I had oh. a quick chat with him um, uh, last night. And um, yeah, he, he says that he, he builds a little spreadsheet every day. Of the handful of players he's gonna he's gonna tweet out every day because it's only it's a very small tantalising number of players he does every day and then then you have to wait twenty four hours for it all to happen again, and uh, yes he builds all this data he corroborates it from various sources with the exception of Simon Dolly Donnelly hmm. obviously, uh, but it's, it's, it, this isn't just about star players I mean um, as I say we are up to about nineteen ninety nine in this chronology Charlie. And this isn't just about the big name players like Steven Gerrard, for example. You've got Frank Dumar at Newcastle. Um, I don't Alan know, Wayne, Goma. Yeah, Wayne Jacobs at Bradford. And then some really obscure... I mean, Nick, you spotted um, a Nottingham Forest player that, whose, whose debut you do actually remember. Oh, St- yeah, Steve Melton. He's he's, the, he's my kind of... <laughs> wow. Yeah, he's my sort of white whale. He, he's the, uh, the, the... When I... When I saw him play, uh, it was it was in the sort of regrettable period when Ron Atkinson was uh, Forest manager. Forest did the classic thing of being absolutely toilet for sort of thirty five games of the season, then winning the final three after already been relegated. And Steve Melton played at the base of the midfield for one of these games and was unbelievably good. You know, controlled the game. Uh, in my head, I think he, he set up a couple of goals. We we, we Forest scored that day. Uh, he then played. I think twice more in the championship the the following season and disappeared without a trace. But now he's immortalised in in what I hope is going to become a cult Twitter account. Chris, whoever you are, whatever you do during the day, thank you, <laughs> thank you from all of us. My only question remains is how how can that Twitter account ever end? Because there will be constant debutants, and so I'm a little confused. But um, we'll have to wait to see how that goes. Next up, Charlie, your comfort blanket. It's it's Richard Keys and Andy Gray. Um, <laughs> Oof, yeah, I'm glad. I, they, I was feeling a bit insecure. We hadn't got got to him yet. I know. Yeah, that's a big relief. They raise the bar every single week. Uh, here they are with the poor Nigel de Jong in between them <laughs> on B in Sports this week uh, in the aftermath of 
West Ham versus Wolves. Uh, this is this debate isn't about West Ham or Wolves. It turns out this is about Lionel Messi <laughs> and whether he could whether he could ever ever kind of handle it in the Premier League. Messi at 34. So who said can that Messi boss handle? games like he used to? Oh, can yeah, he boss course. individuals like oh, yeah. he used to? He can. He, he underestimated his, his his talent and his potential. I See, think I he's think... more hungry to show the rest of the world because this debate has always been here, right? Mm, Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, I, Messi, who's he the may, best player be in the world? Hungry, Ronaldo, but, all day long. Yeah, but why? But, why? Power. <laughs> Listen, you know now. Power. He gives that right? <laughs> you watch that Power. game tonight. I guarantee you spend half of it walking around the football pitch. Which one? Messi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? He yeah. spends half of it just walking around. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you know that. Mm-hmm. That's the way he plays. He's allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. So when he gets the ball, go make something, go yeah. win as a game, Lionel. Uh, would he get away with that? Where? They know what kind Liverpool. of player. No chance. No. If you play Messi in your team, as has always been the case, you've got to have two players to do the work that he's not going well, they to. Will. They and will. at Barcelona, they always had that. Yeah. Can you imagine him but fitting I, into a Manchester City side? Who's going to who's going to be his legs? Who's going to who, no, who's actually going to do the work he won? At, at 34, I don't care what anyone says. At 34, even one of the greatest players we've ever seen is not the player he was at 24. No. <laughs> The final no. The, the final no. no so good. I mean, we should set aside... It reminds aside- me, actually, Adam, that, that nose is almost like the, um, for, for Key's enthusiasts will know, his interview with Mariah Carey, where at the end, <laughs> Lorraine Kelly says something like, uh, like, amazing vocal range, and Key's goes, oh! In, yeah. in the, in the, oh. Just, oh! Nick, we should set aside any debate about whether hosts of football programmes should be imposing themselves on, on, on these very specific football team debates, especially when they're talking to an actual football player who's been on the pitch with the guy they're talking about. Setting that aside, Keezy's just indignant tone that everything he says is fact, is that's just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's the, the, the all day long. That's the, your, your classic <laughs> kind of... It, 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 I mean, ideally, you'd want uh, you'd want it to say end of at some point, but, you know, you can't have yeah. everything. Him nominating Ronaldo as the best player in the world is Ronaldo all day long. Why? Power. Power. That's it. Just one word answers. <laughs> that is Keezy. And if you read his blogs, it's when he gets to the thr- the crux of what he wants to talk about, it's just one word sentences. And it's a very effective delivery, but it is, of course, a fairly out-of-date football opinion. There are some football opinions, Charlie, that just seem to be frozen in time. We ask some of our listeners to confess some of their out-of-date football opinions. Joe Martin says, My outdated football opinion is that goalkeepers in short-sleeve shirts are automatically rubbish, even though Alisson and Edison are regularly exceptional. I don't think of short-sleeve goalkeepers as being rubbish. I think of them as being quite exotic and flary. Like My mind goes to Fabian Barthez, who yeah. was, in my head, the, the first goalie I really saw doing that. Alisson's an interesting one because he's keeping the short-sleeves going, but also he's now in tights. I was going to say, it's more yeah. tracky bums, like the Gabor yeah. Kirai thing that I always thought was synonymous with you know dodgy keepers Allison at the moment doesn't look anything like a traditional top flight capable goalkeeper mm. so he's 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 completely reinventing it um as far as the short sleeves go Emiliano Martinez has taken short he's essentially wearing a very tight vest Nick and I, I feel like he's also now at the vanguard of uh, of transforming our impressions about dodgy goalkeepers for some reason with short short sleeve goalkeepers I I go immediately to Sebastian Frey the mm. uh, Palmer and Inter goalkeeper, who mm. is one of those players that seem to be around for for years and years. But yeah, it it, it does. It sort of screams. Uh, it, it's it's either I am fancy or I am hard or my you know my <laughs> my elbows can take being you know diving all all over, all over uh, football pitches. Dan Henry also says all nil nil games are boring. Change my mind now. Um, 
This, well, this is an interesting philosophical question, Charlie, because we're seeing a lot of goals in the Premier League this season already, and I worry that we're becoming slightly desensitised to 3-2s and 4-3s and 3-alls. And my second kind of point of contention here is that a nil-nil, as it's in, in progress, could be a good game. Is one scrappy goal at either end really going to change, you know, even the most fair-weather fans' impression of that game as a spectacle? Yeah, I remember having this debate um, or this conversation with a friend of mine who he, he always positioned himself as being uh, kind of, you know, a, a sort of thinking man's footballer. And right. aged about 15, he was arguing... Obviously, we all came in like, oh, that game was so boring last night. I think it was Ajax v Arsenal in 2000, <laughs> 2003. And he was saying it was amazing. It was, it was a nil-nil. And he was like, it was amazing. And, you know, it was so interesting tactically and all of this kind of stuff. And, and we got into a discussion about, you know, quality versus excitement. And you can have mm-hmm. a 4-3 or a 3-2 or whatever that's pretty scrappy. Um, and so it kind of depends what you look for. Like, I, I can remember, I think it was Atletico against Barca. It would have been January 2014. It was nil-nil. And it was Atletico... It would have been the season they won the league, and it was at their peak. Simeone just monstering, just and it and I did actually find that compelling to watch, really, really exciting, and the quality of it was so high. So I I do think you can have a really enjoyable, interesting nil nil without being just saying it to kind of you know make it look like you know what you're talking about. I'm just troubled by the idea that um, a goal right at the end of a game makes it infinitely more exciting than it would have been if it had been nil-nil. Or, um, mm. but yeah, I don't know. I just feel like we've watched football long enough for us to have overcome that obsession, but I, I don't know. The final listener contribution for out-of-date football opinions comes from Ed Quotha Raven, who says that Nottingham Forest are naturally a top-flight team. I held that opinion as well, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um... It's been it's been twenty one years, but you know I'm still clinging on, still clinging on. Are you saying that then? If I challenged you, which I'm not going to do now, to to kind of name your cross section, averaged out approximation of the of a Premier League division with twenty teams, you wouldn't have Forest in there. <sighs> I mean, our to... Forest in your essentially all time could be any season Premier League top twenty. I'm afraid. I'm afraid they are. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm... <laughs> Uh, just couldn't quite let them go that's no, nice we usually rely on cold hard facts and data on the <laughs> football cliches podcast but i'm going yeah. my, with my heart on this one well two european cups it's fine it's fine okay on to what i consider to be the peak of this part one before we get onto the real uh, the main thrust of today charlie i've been waiting all evening and all morning to talk to you about this and i just can't wait <laughs> i present to you the greatest piece of sports pluralization of all time <laughs> Uh, we're going into the world of tennis briefly. Ooh. And uh, Heather Watson's comments on Tuesday night. Uh, this is what she said about the state of British tennis. I'm very supportive of the players in that. We've had great players. We've had Joe Conta top 10. Andy Murray has been flying the flag for so, so long. Then you've got, like, your me's, your Evos, your Norries, your Keds. We've all had great careers so far. No, you, you can't <laughs> pluralise yourself. You can't say your me's. Your me's. I'd miss that. That is amazing. Fair play. I've never heard your me's. <laughs> your me's. I, there would never be a better pluralisation than that in any sport. You cannot get better than saying your me's, Nick. Would it have been less or more acceptable if... This was Heather Watson, was it? Yes. Yeah. If she'd have said your Watsons and so on. If, she, if she'd have pluralised herself and third-personed. Would that, would that have been I think, better or worse? I think that would have been more acceptable because, I don't know, it just keeps it within the spirit of, of what she was trying to do. But I think just just leave yourself out of it completely is, would be my guess. If, like, Andy Murray had been next to her and the interviewer was, was Evo or something like that, so it's like your me's, your you's, your him's. 
and, and really bring in those articles. <laughs> that would have been beyond parody. But uh, as it stands, that is an art installation of sports chat. That I, it's my favourite thing that anyone has ever said in the history of sport, as far as I could say. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On to money. Money makes the world go round, Charlie, and it certainly makes the football world go round. Um, I feel like I feel like now we, we're, we're not just football fans. We have to be FFP experts. We have to be, you know, accounting trick forensic scientists now to understand what's going on in the in the football world but um as far as the language of money in football goes there are some very strange little phrases that i want to run past you first of all what things in football what what kind of sums of money in football would you consider to be eye-watering nowadays yeah uh well, in what context are we using this eye-watering well eye-watering fees uh, or wages often mm. um is you know, it's, it's kind of. When was the last time, last time you cried after hearing a <laughs> sum of money in football? My eyes watered. <laughs> Probably, I mean, Gareth Bale. I think there was talk when he was going to move to China that he was going to get mm. something like a million, one million pounds <laughs> a week or something like that. Like, I think my eyes did start. Your eyes watered, just instinctively yeah. watered. Yeah. Uh, Nick, Nick, I guess we should make an important clarification here. Eye watering is not the same as mouth watering. What's mouth watering? Mouth watering is a is a is a mouth watering prospect of a, you know an exciting game or something like that. Yeah. Does it does it is is there is there a mouth watering out of money? I'm not sure. Maybe no, definitely not. I just no, I just wondered the last time. Tie, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When was the last time you, you drooled, kind of Pavlovian style, a, a cup draw? Uh... Yeah, it's never happened. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a physical reaction to a, to a, um, to a cup draw. But um, to hear it, maybe I just haven't had the right <laughs> cup draws yet. You can have a mouth watering cup tie, and I guess you you can also have a money spinning one, Charlie. Um, what's a money spinner? Well, I was actually covering a money spinning, or should have been covering a money spinning cup tie last week when Leighton Orient mm. were due to host Tottenham in the Carabao Cup, and mm. you know. The re- part of the reason that was it was such a shame that was cancelled was because they were deprived of a money spinning cup tie, you know, against yep. one of the big boys. There are several rules that apply to money spinning cup ties. Uh, you are obliged to say how long the windfall from that tie will keep uh, the smaller club going. So that requires <laughs> a little bit of forensic um, accounting digging. And secondly, once the game is about to start, I think you have to add up the value of the richer team and then present it as a multiple of the smaller team just to really ram home that they are indeed from different divisions. Money spending to me or, or, or sort of means a pre-season tour to somewhere in Asia. Mm. Um, oh, right. But I think I, I think that has now just become something that in normal times Premier League clubs do, and it's gone beyond money spending. It's just a sort of... Because uh, money spending implies like an extra thing, extra amount of money that you haven't budgeted for. Right. Whereas you know, if you if you're you know Leicester playing West Brom or something in the Premier League trophy, 
then that's just part of the pre-season now. It's not. It's part of the regular accounting process rather than the, the sort of shrewd financial exploita- exploitation that teams seemed to do about 10 years ago. Nick, you mentioned the Far East, but I think what you actually meant to say was the lucrative Far East market, to give it a full <laughs> geographical name, as recognised by the UN. The lucrative Far East market, as we patronisingly point out, is, is where this... This kind of accepted wisdom that shirt sales will pay for a, an entire player for the rest of time. The Nakata theory. Kind of based yeah. on. Mm. In a motor yeah, yeah, arsenal. Yeah, that's... I mean... Is, is, it, is that problematic, looking back? Yeah, I, I mean, it probably, it probably does betray, um, you know, a degree of Orientalism. I remember as well that being something that was dug into as to whether that was a myth and whether it really did work. Can't remember what the conclusion was. It's not beyond the cynicism of Premier League clubs, is it, Nick? To to be signing a player that may give you a marketing edge in a certain part of the world, but it's but the the flip side of it is that it's, it's this kind of collective um, blind fanaticism that they kind of assume is going to uh, that signing is going to be met with. It is is fundamentally quite patronising, isn't it? They hadn't previously heard of football in Japan until Jinichi Inamoto <laughs> signed yeah. as a sort of you know fourth choice central midfielder for Arsenal. That you know, this strange exotic concept was being presented to them in return for sacks of cash. When you know, as we all know, Japan have been playing football for quite a long time. These sorts of things these days are basically instantly met with a debunking. Like someone will come out <laughs> with a little spreadsheet and say, actually, shirt sales will account for about five percent of this player's fee due to the uh, licensing uh, arrangements with the kit manufacturers. So that's important to point out. Charlie, little poser for you: what things are worth the admission money alone? Uh, I ask you this, bearing in mind that you don't actually pay to get into matches anymore, so this is all fairly <laughs> moot. That's worth the admission money alone. Uh... Um, yeah. spectacular strikes do you think goals fall into this like, I think it's just little bits of skill or, or a slide tackle right, or maybe, a nice yeah, pass maybe. I think I think I think goals are you know because they're, they're too high profile yeah, yeah exactly I mean that's literally what you turned up to see goals that's um, worth the admission price alone yeah maybe there's a sort of subcategory of this which is again people who haven't paid to go into the ground to watch this thing saying I would pay to watch him that, <laughs> yeah and that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's generally kind of confined to a sort of to a to an individual player. So you'd say, you know, I would I would uh, as if this is the kind of the great um, sort of the, the the highest praise that anyone could possibly give. I would pay money to watch Lionel Messi play. You can go a step further. You can say I would pay to watch him train, which is <laughs> which is absurd decadence. I wouldn't pay <laughs> to watch someone train. I'd poke my head over the a hedge like for you know Marcelo Bielsa and just watch it. I'm not paying to watch anyone train. That's absolute nonsense. Interesting one about fines, Charlie. Players are, of course, slapped with fines by the FA, but they can also be fined by their clubs. Uh, it's, it's well established now that the maximum set by the PFA is, is two weeks' wages, but I, I've ne- I, don't, well, I can't remember the last time anyone was fined one week's wages. It just goes to the full hog now. There are no sort of medium discrepancies that you can just be fined one week's wages for. An interesting one, don't you agree? Yes, I, I'd like to know. What, it would have to be quite a low-level offence, something that was <laughs> <laughs> fairly low-level, but... <laughs> Strong enough to. I remember as well when they introduced that on Football Manager or Championship Manager that you could find players and it was really exciting. And and I remember getting really trigger happy with it and upsetting a lot of people. In terms of wages, Nick, another kind of philosophical debate that never seems to have reached its resolution is lots of non footballing people poke their head above the parapet every now and then and quite witheringly point out that footballers are vastly overpaid for for simply kicking a pig's bladder around (laughs) for 90 minutes and various other ways of, of. making football even more trivial than it actually is by 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 definition but 
but the only the only kind of response I have to that is, well, how much should footballers be paid? What is the market rate acceptably, what morally, that a footballer should be paid? What is the ceiling? It's whatever your go-to essential service is. Like, whether it, it, it for, for obviously for a long time it was soldiers and then you've got nurses. <laughs> Doctors get paid, you know, minimal amounts of money compared to footballers but they seem to be kind of excluded from this on the basis that they generally earn a quite comfortable wage anyway but yeah, yeah it's it's uh, whatever i presume but possibly the um you know clap for carers and all that has, has pushed nurses and um perhaps you know the subset of uh, of general carers into the sort of pole position of the the kind of go-to comparison for football wages son hung min completing his national service charlie meant that finally Soldiers were being paid for ballers' wages. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting hybrid role that Son was mm. doing for those couple of weeks. Yeah, just just sacrificing himself in order to bury a footballing <laughs> cliche uttered by people who don't like football. If you don't like it, go away. We can't talk about money without getting into transfer fees, I suppose, Nick. I put it to you that the benchmark for a truly eye-watering transfer fee, I would say, is if it appears in shiny gold font on the back of a tabloid back page. Yeah, possibly accompanied by, you know, clip arts of bags of sacks of cash as well. <laughs> just to, just to really emphasize if you if you couldn't conceive that ninety five million pounds was a lot of money, here it is. <laughs> you know. Is ninety five million that's that's your that's your benchmark now. I mean I'm going going back through the history of tabloid back pages with gold font, I saw forty million once for a prospective Adnan Yanazai move from Manchester United. Uh, that went up to seventy million for Riyad Mahrez from Leicester to Man City. I feel like we're probably into three figures now, aren't we? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Neymar has done none of us any favours by completely distorting things in a kind of mm. serious way and a well, you know, what do we get excited about? What do we kind of? What What is an awe in awing amount of money? These now this is, it. is it? This is it. I, I again, I worry that this is just an an old man talking. But Charlie, I think Neymar has has ruined this this sensation of being wowed by a transfer fee, and I guess Mbappe also to an extent. Transfer fees can't surprise you anymore. Uh, and I'm not going to go as far to say I'm desensitised to it, but it, the magic has been taken away if there were, ever was any. When a record is shattered to that extent, I think of like in tennis, Iznamou going to 70-68 in the fifth set and it just obliterated the record to the point <laughs> where there was just nothing even close. Tennis, and, tennis. <laughs> and, and you look at um, <laughs> with Neymar, he that just smashed it, didn't it? There, there, mm. there hasn't really been much. What I really like is when you get really high fees, but with like really specific. So like one hundred thirty-seven point two four million, and you're like, yeah. God, fair play that even at that they weren't just like fuck it, make it one hundred thirty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> they they really have negotiated that hard. Then I quickly Google it and I find out it's just it, that just squares it up in euros or something like that, and that completely ruins Maybe, it. Maybe yeah. I, I, I love a decimal place. I, I I long for quaint transfer fees like two point two two five million or something like that. Nick, I feel like the only place that we can go for people of a certain vintage to, to reclaim that magic from transfer fees and, and really reclaim that awe is to perhaps try and convert it into different different currencies. Because I don't know, the world record transfer fee, uh, nudging 200 million now, that, 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 that doesn't really send a shiver down my spine. But if I convert it to, say, a uh, now defunct European currency, maybe we'll be back in business. For example, Christian Vieri to Inter in 1999, he went for £32 million, pounds, which was a world record at the time. But in lira, it was £96 billion. I have but exactly the same thing written down in my in my notes here. <laughs> Christian Vieri to enter. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, and I was I was just trying to look up um, uh, Gianluigi Lentini as well. That was eight billion oh, yeah. lira. Eight um, billion. Yeah, oh. so you know we, we we kind of know that as thirteen million. What happened to the lira those. in those in those seven years between those two transfers? I, I'm really not sure. That's a quite a common gag. I think Merson's used that a few times of like when kind of showing your disbelief <laughs> at a transfer, uh, a transfer fee, say, I thought they were talking about lira. I thought that was in lira. <laughs> I've heard that quite a few times. So Okay, in that case, we'll let it out the, the last two minutes based on, <laughs> on that alone. Thank you very much. Um, in terms of uh, Christian Vieri's fee, that, um, this actually caused quite a stir at the time in 1999. Uh, the Vatican's official newspaper, L'Osservatore Romano, described this massive transfer fee, and I repeat, 96 billion Italian lira, as an insult to the poor. So, you know, not only are we going beyond um, the stage, Nick, where transfer fees actually wow us and send shivers down our spine, but I feel like they're not they're not creating moral panics anymore. No one really cares. That's just a thing that happens. The, the current Pope is a big football fan, isn't he? So maybe mm-hmm. he's, you know, he, he he's not going to get, um, he's kind of inured to it as well. He's been watching the game for so long that uh, yeah. he doesn't get morally outraged by, you know, PSG playing 20, £222 million pounds for Neymar. The, the symbol, perhaps, of um, transfer fee decadence, Charlie, has to be the Sky Sports News transfer totaliser, mm. <laughs> um, which, which I must confess, I haven't paid much attention to Sky Sports News recently. I don't know if they've still got it going. I don't even, even if Sky suddenly decided it was a little bit too gauche even for them. The transfer totaliser, in terms of its just sheer kind of... Uh, <laughs> How can I put this? It is go. I mean, gauche is the word. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, it kind of hit its peak of gaucheness, perhaps, in about 2014. Uh, This clip perhaps sums it up best. Total spending is going full speed towards £800 million. That's right. £800 million. In fact, this summer spend is telling last summer to talk to the hand because this totaliser ain't listening. This is deadline day, and we are fast approaching 11pm. Clubs need to move, and move fast to get those deals done. Two aspects here, Charlie. It's just um, um, the sheer force that, that Darmesh Sheff um, sort of utters the, the sums of money here, the nine figures sums, and, and also this kind of weird role that they seem to play in kind of urging people to spend money because it's a good thing. Now, again, I don't want to get too pompous about this. I still I still get excited by football transfers to a certain level. So the the amount of money that they pay each summer doesn't bother me to that extent. But it, but it is a little bit odd. That reminded me a little bit of like Bob Geldof at Live Age shouting at people <laughs> down the TV camera to, you know, don't go to the pub tonight, give us your fucking money. Um, but a real kind of, you, you know, the the... the the natural conclusion of Sky Sports uh, news and the way that they have reported on the Premier League as being this kind of great glamorous. I'm aware I'm getting, uh, uh, as you warned against just now, quite pompous about this. But the the, total, the totalizer I thought of it before this as something they would use on Blue Peter charity appeals. <laughs> you know, they're gonna. That we need to raise ten thousand pounds for this thing, so and that, you know, every week they would there would be this little arrow that the they would not what was the, the blue? I, I can't remember. It was like a thermometer, though, wasn't it? It was like yeah. it went up, it was like yeah. the mercury rose. That that's that's probably a bit more. That's a cooler way of doing it. Sky should do that rather than Would just it, a simply kind of rolling digitized display. And on mm. comic relief and things like that. I mean, that's. I think that's partly why uh, <laughs> people were a bit like. Uh, this is weird. I mean, like on comic relief, they're, obviously <laughs> they're raising money for charity, so it's a celebration. 
it's yeah. slight, it's it's a bit odd to be kind of celebrating hyper consumerism and capitalism. Speaking of transfer fees that spiral out of control, um, Nick, can you name me some players that um, are basically defined by their cumulative transfer fees? Because it seems like a sort of weird little preoccupation sometimes. We we mentioned him before, but Christian Vieri is the is the, mm. the my go to for this because he seemed to he seemed to go sort of move for. Uh, eye-watering amounts of money every summer for about three or four years. Another one is uh, Paulinho, who has moved for some astonishing amount of money. About I think it's about 120 million pounds in total to, to kind of various places, which is obvious. The, the, the other ones I've got written down are like Juan Sebastian Veron and uh, Hernan Crespo, who are you know universally acknowledged good players, but Paulinho still probably because of his kind of vague ineptitude at Tottenham still is still a bit of a punchline in England and yet he has gone for you know 120 million pounds in total or whatever it is Nicholas Anelka is another one I've got yeah. written oh, down complete. He, he was yeah. he he was kind of a regular for that another one a slightly uh, a one who maybe doesn't get as much attention is James Rodriguez because I think yeah. he, he did a big move I think Porto Monaco and then Real Madrid I remember at the t- there was a point at which I think he'd had more money spent on him than anyone else ever but again, this is another this is another way that Neymar's ruined it because he, you know, in, yeah, just that one deal yeah. in one yeah. fell swoop. Yeah, that does ruin it. I mean, there's an argument to be had that maybe your cumulative transfer fees should be the benchmark for being the most expensive footballer of all time because people keep buying you and therefore you are the most valuable one. Maybe that should be the maybe that should be the new record-setting kind of criteria for this. I'm slightly intrigued by players who keep moving for the same fee. Uh, Christopher Samba, over the course of about a year, <laughs> moved. Let me, let me get this right. He moved from Blackburn to Andy Makachkula for about twelve point five million. Then moved very quickly to QPR for a reported fee of around twelve point five million, and then about six months later returned to Angie Makachkula for a fee of twelve million. Fair play for uh, essentially just moving around for exactly the same fee. But does that mean he he got sort of, if we take into account inflation, just got slightly worse every time? <laughs> yes, I suppose he did. Yeah. Although he was um, getting slightly older, so maybe that evened uh, it out, yeah, and he was just yeah. staying at pretty much the same level i wonder if inflation ever comes into kind of transfer negotiations sort of five years later i say okay we'll buy him back but we're going to buy him back for exactly the same money because uh, you know tra- you know he's, he's appreciated by yeah exactly yeah this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an nba game and more Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Nick, uh, what about algebraic footballers, uh, players who simply exist as, as multiples of transfer fees or perhaps fractions of other players' transfer fees? Well, Only one standout candidate here, isn't there? Well, it is the Michu, surely. Yeah. He signed for, what was it, 2.5 million or whatever it that, was. Around that, yeah. For, for Swansea, which very quickly beca- didn't became not an excellent piece of business by Swansea. Very, very, very well done for finding this man from that no one had ever heard of for a small fee who scored a load of goals. But it very quickly became a, well, the rest of the league are idiots for paying, you know, multiple several multiples of Michu 
for you know Scott Parker or someone who perhaps mm. wasn't wasn't quite as good. It did seem to turn on its head very very quickly that one. I fear that the kind of increasingly distorted transfer market, Charlie. Um, at some point, we're going to have to kind of take stock and say, well, what do you get for a certain amount of money in the current climate? So let's let's do just that. Right, you're a Premier League manager, an average Premier League manager, and I'm giving you one million pounds. What's that buying you? I mean, you're either going quite far down the leagues, or I'm thinking like a loan fee. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of that amount. No, I'm not allowing loan fees because that's, that's, that's a load of nonsense. That's I, I, I think, yeah, a, a lower league fullback, you know, a league two fullback or something. Yeah, sort of quite highly rated, maybe England under 16 international. Yeah. Uh, his name's Jack. They're always Jack. That feels like compensation for, a, for <laughs> yes. a, you know, a 16 year old who's been tempted mm. away. Okay, good start. That kind of nailed that one. Uh, Nick, you've got £2.5 million in your war chest. Who are you spending that on? For £2.5 million, I've got run down uh, a young defender a championship club signs from a big European team. Now, this oh. might be it's quite heavily influenced by my own team, Nottingham Forest, recently buying a young central defender from PSG for roughly that amount. If we're disallowing loan fees or, yes. you know, percentage contribution to from yeah. for, to, to wages from Absolutely. you know smaller club to bigger club then I, I think that's what I'm going for okay well, so, so is, we're talking about a veteran center half here or, or no 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 the sort of player where you go well he used to play for PSG so he must be good um yeah, you know, yeah. despite the fact that he's he's 22 and suspiciously hasn't played for the first team yet uh, in any respect quite nice that, that 2.5 million is a sum of money that Nottingham Forest could conceivably spend any time from about 1984 onwards um I, i'm not saying that's you know you've stalled as a football club but it's it's nice that, that that's a sum of money that they pretty much could have spent any summer between then and now there are many many other ways in which you could say that forest have stalled as a football club so you know oh, million, just brag it, about them one day yeah, but 2.5 million was around the sum that Forrest paid for Chris Park Williams in 1995. So, pretty I think he was a 2.225 actually. Oh, really? like, oh, you know, okay. In terms of sort of fetishizing uh, decimal points, I think he was uh, around there. But I'm, I'm not re educating you on Nottingham Forest. Um, five million pounds. This is where it starts to get interesting, Charlie. Ethan Henson says five million pounds gets you a washed up 32 year old former winger who used to have explosive pace but has now shifted into central midfield. Uh, I mean, I guess a little bit more context needed here. I'm trying, I'm trying to think who that could be, but I, I see where he's going. It's still a, it's quite a humble amount of money these days. I'm not sure you'd pay that for someone that age. I, I think mm. five million, maybe a sub keeper, or yeah. um, not a million miles away from the, you know, from the one million, but a centre back who's who's kind of broken through quite early uh, and is, a, you know, is being fated as kind of a natural leader um, and a future international who you buy. He might never really get near your team, but if he doesn't, you can just sell him on for a bit more a couple of years later because you'd have <laughs> loaned him out a couple of times and he's English, so he'll he'll have a value. I'm kind of thinking like Michael Hector, someone like that, but obviously back when he was of that kind of age. Ed Barker suggests a young midfielder with a giant ego after a good um, showing at the Under-19 European Championships. Um, yeah, I see where he's going with that. Ian Smith, I think, has nailed it. League One leading goalscorer. Five million. <laughs> That's it. On a tangent, Nick, £6 million, I reckon, for the next 10 or 15 years will, will always be enough to sign Lewis Graben. <laughs> Every single year. Yeah, Every single absolutely. year. Even after he's retired. Go for £6 million this summer, Lewis. Nah, I'm not sure yet. Probably Bournemouth. Probably Bournemouth. <laughs> Producer AD points out, just to blow this th- these £5 million theory apart, uh, that Liverpool actually paid that for Thiago. 
So you do get the odd wow. coup. Wow, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. up front, isn't it? That's yeah. not... Yeah, AD. has AD. been very slippery there. <laughs> yeah, Kia Jarubchian. Speeding up the scale quickly, uh, which takes us to 25 million. So, you know, serious money. Not quite silly money, Charlie, but I would say we're talking about serious cash. Mm. Um, Gus suggests a goal scorer from a recently relegated side who scored anywhere between 10 and 12, but no more, over the course of that season. I was just well. I was just thinking Callum Wilson. Yeah. So uh, we're we're along similar lines there. I mean, twenty twenty five million still instinctively sort of sparks a little neuron in my brain saying, "Okay, okay, here we are. I'm excited." But um, (laughs) then you look into the real nuts and bolts of it. It turns out to be something very underwhelming. Um, Brad suggests Nick twenty five million pounds gets you any Brazilian midfielder from a Champions League group stage side. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) specifically Shaq Dardanetsk. Yes. Well, possibly Zenit. For 25 million, I've gone with, and again, maybe I'm being unduly influenced by kind of recent transfers, uh, specific recent transfers, but it feels like Championship forward who plays for a club that didn't quite get promoted but has scored 15 plus goals yeah. in two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ollie Watkins is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, so I thought you were going to say, look, Ollie, full name Watkins is definitely yeah. a 20. Yeah, that, that fee, I'm now at peace with £25 million being spent on championship strikers. I'm at peace I, with that now. I think I think you you could do it for Mitrovic, but you need add-ons. I think it would have yeah. to be 25 million with some some pretty chunky add-ons. Now we're at 50 million now. This is the real this is conceivably silly money. Uh, Ethan Henson is back again. He says 50 million pounds buys you a 22-year-old English midfielder whose reputation exceeds their ability and actually they've only played 86 league games for a bottom half Premier League side. Is he nodding there towards someone like James Madison? Yeah, who maybe. I think would actually be valued at more than 50 million in Yeah, he probably in would be. Yeah, yeah, that it would take silly money to sign James Madison. Uh, Mo Scene suggests fifty million pounds gets you an attacking player aged between twenty-two and twenty-five, who at that point has only just had his first great season in Europe. Nick, I think that's about right. I mean, again, for my final old man um, contribution for for this week, I do fear that in a couple of years' time, the top ten most expensive players in the world will all be players I've never, I couldn't pick out in a police lineup. <laughs> I think that will be the time that I think, okay, I give up. It's all yours. You can, you, I, I, the game hasn't gone. It's just not. I don't. Get get it anymore and because uh, I, I have no emotional involvement in this anymore but 50 million pounds doesn't really seem to stretch that far anymore no well I mean this was the first one I, I wrote down in my notes I've just got Manchester City defender written down because they seem to have <laughs> they seem to have signed about 12 of those in the last sort of five or six years absolutely incredible I don't know it's like me and winter coats I think okay I'm gonna do it I'm gonna this will be the one this will be the one that sees me through the next 10 years 200 quid that's it I'm gonna do it it's fine and then next year I'm back I'm back at Zara. I'm back at Reese. I think of you as having quite a distinctive winter coat, but maybe you just buy really similar ones year <laughs> after year. A kind of a, a, a sleek black number I'm imagining you in. Back in sort of 2004, I bought a, a very sort of um, smart, long grey one to, to match Jose Mourinho because that was mm. the coat. And I was so happy with it. And I haven't quite deviated from there. So I am essentially Manchester City. I'm going to keep making the same expensive, slightly um, misguided signing every single summer until I finally go and get, I don't know, like a puffer jacket or something like that, which, which I hate <laughs> and I'm never going to wear them. Finally, I think Darren Leithley might have cracked this code after all. £5 million, top player. £25 million, top, top player. £50 million, <laughs> top, 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 top player. That's it. That's it. He's done it. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Who wants a cliche quiz to, to wrap up this, this money-stained episode <laughs> of Football Cliches? Sure. Let's do it. Sure. Okay, you know the drill. The first person who gets the correct answer gets the point. It's best of three. Here we go. Question one. What do buying clubs do when faced with an excessive asking price? Bulk at the transfer fee. Oh, that was so close, but Charlie wins it 1-0. Yeah. Um, how are you spelling bulk, by the way? B-A-U-L-K. Is it, is it the same as the, the same as the bulk end in snooker? I'm not sure. The bulk mm. cushion, yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's up for some debate. I'm I'm still not sure if it's B A U or just simply B A, but uh, but anyway, the point goes Charlie's way nonetheless. Question two, Nick, you need this. Yeah. What do club owners have to do before a spending spree can truly begin? Dip into their pockets. No. A transfer war chest. No. What do they do? What do they have to do? So, so what they the, what they urge the, to do? What they urge to get do? their checkbook out? No. <sighs> It's it's a back little bit antiquated. The manager? No, it's a little it's it's, it's, a, it's a kind of antiquated kind of vision image that comes into your head. They are urged oh. to because they might previously not have spent money. So what are they going to have to do now? If it's not pull the jackpot out, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, goodness me! You might. Have to it's loosen the purse out. strings. It's loosen uh, the purse strings. Purse strings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Into question three, Charlie. Which player was once rumoured to have moved clubs for a fee of some corrugated iron? Ian Rush. No. Ian Wright. No. Ah. Uh, I, I should I should expand on that. The myth also includes a set of tracksuits and some training balls. Uh, Tony Cascarino. Tony Cascarino is correct. A 1-1 one, one draw. A creditable 1-1 one, one draw. That was is it, an, is, and a hard-fought one as well. Is, is, is there a tiebreaker? No? No? No. No, no. <laughs> no only because I've spent the last 15 minutes off-air trying to find the third question. Well, well done. Thanks for playing. And we'll see everybody next week. Bye. No. 